This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. Another exciting week, another week of smallmouth bass fishing talk some of the top experts when it comes to smallmouth fishing across the country we got a unique guest this week he catches big big bass and he does well big largemouth and big smallmouth on big baits but we're going to get into all that i'm super excited austin neary joins us and we're going to be talking smallmouth in the southern part of the country so we're going to leave the northern zone just for this week and talk with Austin and see uh what kind of information he can dish out we're going to bring him on shortly but I first want to give a shout out to the real shot they carry all the most wanted bass tackle that a smallmouth crush fan could ask for top brands like mega bass jackal evergreen z-man Daiwa, shimano dirty jigs kitex st croix rods reels, whatever you need. They got it all. They're going to help you get set up for your next big bass adventure or big tournament that you have coming up. Same day shipping, by the way. And if you use my promo code smallmouthcrush15, we're going to give you 15% off your first order. So head on over to therealshot.com and let them know smallmouthcrush sent you. Let's bring on the big shooter. Oh, there he is. I'm awake and alive. What's your nickname? You got a nickname? They call me the dream catcher. Ah, the dream catcher. I, I like mean, it. when I was in college, I played baseball at the university. I got hurt. And then, uh, you know, we're real close here to the Cherokee reservation. And I was like, you know what? Everyone has a dream catch. They aspire to catch a dream catch. And, uh, you know, dream catchers play on words. So everyone knows me as the dream catcher on the, on the YouTube channel and everything. So. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. That's that's awesome. So let's get a little bit of background about yourself. I want to know what part of the country you're you're chilling in right now. And yeah. let's talk, let's talk small. Now listen, I, I know you're a big largemouth guy too. Okay. Big spotted bass too. I love and spotted bass. I keep forgetting yeah. about that. But you'd like to get a, on a few big, big smallmouth, and you got some secrets oh, we yeah. want to hear. So what's your story, man? Give us your background if you if you would. Yeah, so born in South Carolina. Uh, dad was a home builder, ended up moving to South Baltimore, cut my teeth on the Upper Bay, the Potomac River. Grew up next to your boy, Epic Eric, literally neighbors. Right. And, uh, you know, he was kind of my fishing mentor. And then uh, I went to school and played baseball at Western. He goes, man, you seen this this uh, Southern Trout Eaters DVD? And I was like, no. He goes, man, they're in Western North Carolina, out where you went, where you're going to school. I went to school, Western Carolina University. And uh he goes, man, we got to throw some big baits down there. Dude, I end up getting hurt my sophomore year. Don't really know what I want to do. Uh, I fished a couple of the lakes when I, when I had free time. Started the fishing team at the university. Had some great success. Won a couple of regionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyways, got in the big bait game and then started just crushing it and winning a lot of tournaments, you know, like, you know, 28 to 32 pounds. And guys are coming in with 15, 16 pounds, calling me cheater and everything. And I said, I think I can start guiding. So I started guiding with big baits and then realized there was no good tackle shop and started dream catchers fishing supply. 
And, uh, you know, we're looking at expanding that. And so I've had the tackle shop for a few years, been guiding for seven years, catching big smallies, big large mouth, big small mouth. And, uh, yeah, man, just love it. I'm addicted to, uh, addicted to watching people reel in their dream catch. So sure. Do you still yeah. fish tournaments? You know, honestly, you know, I fished the opens last year, did pretty good. I think I finished 30 something in points out of what, however many guys fished it, but you know, I make a guaranteed $600 every time I guide somebody and then I make a nice tip. So for me, it's like between my wife and I are very involved in our community. So, you know, I was away for, you know, a week, week and a half and then traveling. And then I, you know how it is on a tournament trail, man, you can get lonely when you're all by yourself on a boat and just grinding, trying to figure out the stuff. And, you know, every week, you know, I guide five to six days a week, $600 a day. And even when I'm doing well in the, the tournament scene, I pay taxes on that crap. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep guiding. And, uh, you know, I just cut my teeth day in, day out, man, just getting done with the trip and, uh, more on more tomorrow and more the day after. <laughs> wow. No, that's awesome. So talk about the, the smallmouth fishing, because a lot of people, when they think big yeah. smallmouth, they're thinking the great lakes and, you of know, course. way up North, but I guess you don't have to travel that far. You got some good opportunity by you. Are you fishing? You know, give me an idea of the places that you're fishing. Are they big areas? Yeah. Are they well-known? Yeah. So a little bit of, a little bit of everything, man, from hole in the wall lakes to we have, you know, some big lakes that guys have, have heard of and been to, but we live in what's called like the smallmouth triangle. So guess where the world record smallmouth was called? Kentucky. Probably close to you. Yeah. Okay. Kentucky. So we live, the triangle kind of goes from, uh, Kentucky down to Tennessee and then Western North Carolina, you know, our state record smallmouth, I think is just a tad under 11 pounds Jeez. and yeah. You know, and, uh, it, you know, Tennessee has giants and then South Carolina state record is nine pounds, which is Lake Jocassi, which is a lake I guide on. And then Tennessee's got some mega small mouth. So anyways, I'm in Western North Carolina. We have lakes like Fontana Lake, Lake Hiawassee, uh, Nantahala, Lake Glenville, Lake Toxaway, Lake Jocassi. And then even now, uh, my guide service has really started to brand itself at Lake James, which I voted the number one smallmouth fishery in the Southeast. Um, you know, just been smashing a lot of four and five pounders there. So Western North Carolina, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of any of those lakes really like no, dude. Lake James. <laughs> nope. How about Nantahala? Nope. How about Glenville? No. How about Joe Cassie? Most people have heard of Joe Cassie just because it's just above Hartwell. No, sir. Yeah, it's actually technically it's above Kiwi, which is Kiwi's above Hartwell, but Kiwi. freaking massive, Dude. like massive smallies. It's crazy, you know. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It sounds like you have a bunch of lakes. You know, is it? Are they all within uh, a couple hours drive of each other? All within an hour and a half, really. Where my shop is in Silva, it's an hour to an hour fifteen minutes to most of the lakes. Some of them are just thirty minutes away. And uh, the, really, the unique thing is, you know, for me, when I was in college, I'm like, there's all these vacation rentals on all these lakes. And people from Atlanta, people from Charlotte, people from Florida, because we're at 3,500 feet elevation, the highest lakes east of the Mississippi River. There's none. There's no other lakes higher in elevation east of the Mississippi than the lakes I guide on. And, uh, you know, obviously just sp- cut my teeth there. I just caught a ton of big smallies. And I'm like, man, these lakes are juice and they're juice because they got some fat oily herring in them that are like that big <laughs> yeah so you know that's really unique because when i think of the south and big smallmouth i think of the tennessee river and 
places yeah, like Pickwick and yeah. Wheeler, uh, which is, uh, you know, I would assume a little bit more well, well known. So this is going to be a fascinating, yeah. uh, a fascinating interview with you because, you know, you were talking inland lakes, high elevation, yeah. chasing herring. Bluebacks, right? yeah. Bluebacks. There's threadfin, but they're the big girls eat bluebacks and trout. They eat trout. They love trout. Come on. Oh, I'm telling you, man, just ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Let's... So, so many questions here. Yeah. Uh, I know you. I know you like throwing big baits. I know you throw some small baits too every once in a while. I'm scared. Let's let walk me through kind of the seasonal patterns when it comes to to smallmouth fishing in, in your region, you know, let's start out. I, obviously you can fish year round, but let's start, let's start out here in the springtime and pre-spawn and, you know, when is the pre-spawn in your mind? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it depends on mountain weather. We don't, you know, we had a super late spawn this year. Fish, we were catching smallies on beds in June, kind of like you guys are doing in New York. Oh. Um, you know, just because we're so high in elevation, you get a couple cold, you know, it's, uh, it's May, right? So we still got some cold mornings we've had, you know, where it's down in the thirties and we've had snow up, up in late April. So it's not uncommon to kind of get a, a pushback, uh, spawn, but you know, when I'm thinking winter time, like kind of late winter, early pre-spawn, pre-spawn spring fishing, you know, a lot of those big smallies, they're hanging out way, way deep out off point. So I'm talking about, you know, a long point might run a hundred yards in the lake and it might be 20 foot deep at that hundred yard mark. And then there's like a shelf or a ledge that drop, drops down to another 40 or even 50 foot. And then it drops off to the main channel. And that's where we're really targeting. Those fish are kind of going to start to move up shallower as, okay. as the progression happens with that water temperature. So is that where they're wintering as well? They're wintering. Yeah. They, okay. you know, it, I've caught, on Lake Joe Cassie, you know, a few other places I've caught smallmouth as deep as 65, 70 foot deep, but in that wintertime deal. But when it's really getting back into that, that early pre-spawn, pre-spawn, they're starting to get up there 40, 35, 40, 35, 30. And, uh, you know, just, just honestly, how I attack them is just a small contact, a small contact. I've caught some dang fat, ugly ones on a, uh, underspin man, just, you know, a fish head spin, half ounce, just, just dredging the bottom as slow as you can creep it, you know, and those fish are just, you know, I, I think it's weird because where you are, you guys don't have crazy, crazy deep water like that. Do you? What do you mean by crazy, crazy deep water? I mean, are you, are you guys catching small ways in 50 foot? Sure. We do. Yeah. yeah. On the, on the great lakes, especially. And yeah. there's a few inland lakes where that comes into play, but yeah. Uh, normally on the inland lake, you don't have to go much over 50, 60 feet. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You said throwing a Kitek on that, on an underspin. What size are you throwing? Cause you're throwing a half ounce, but what size Kitek? Well, so it comes down to matching the hatch. You know, I helped develop the finesse underspin that fish heads throwing now because I said, dude, you're really missing out on a thread fin style lure. Um, you know, and that's for really chasing the spots around when they're crushing threadfin in the wintertime. But a lot of these big smallies, I'm throwing a 3.8, you know, a big, big, cause I'm telling you, man, they're coughing up herring that you're like, golly, like, man, he's got a four or five inch or a five or six inch herring in his mouth and he ate my four or five inch swim bait, you know? So I really like a 3.8 on that three uh, half ounce underspin. You know, that's pretty much my go-to and a three eighths ounce. Maybe if you want to let it really crawl on the bottom. Um, uh, 
you know, I, I like to control the sink a little better with a three eighths. Okay. Just really crawl it. So, so when that water starts getting into the mid fifties, what's happening now? Yeah. So, I mean, everything's moving shallow. It's this whole migration of these fish moving up shallow. The herring are starting to move shallow too. So um, why, are, why is the herring moving shallow? Are they spawning or they'll, walk they'll, through spawn, that? they'll start spawning in that, that, you know, kind of mid they'll, I've seen them spawn in as cold as 64 and they'll start to spawn really when it hits 70 into the seventies, oh, but they okay. just, yeah, they just kind of, man, they'll hang out out there. I was out there today, uh, you know, and you'll see them in super, super deep water, like 60, 70 foot in the wintertime. And then you just tend to notice they just kind of move up in the water column with a little bit warmer water up in the water mm-hmm. column, up in the water column. And they just know, you know, just migration, that, that instinct to just kind of move shallow. So, you know, a lot of these fish, they're on those long points, those herring are moving up. And when it's, when it's windy, oh my gosh, dude, if you, if you have a plus one, jerk bait on you know with a little bit of wind you duct tape the rod in your hand and you dang you rip that thing all day and uh get your arm so, ripped off so early spring these fish are moving up the points chasing herring you're using the mega bass 110 plus yeah plus one i i'll be honest i like the plus two the plus two gets fouled up a lot but it gets down there and really touches them because what i tend to notice are those smallmouth crews and you know once again pre-spawn they're cruising around you know and and wolf packs of three to six or seven fish the big ones at least you know the the little ones will get in bigger groups but they're hanging on that 20 to 25 foot zone and uh, it's super clear water i'm talking about you know most of the lakes i got on you can drop a dime down and and watch the dime go down 20 foot so you know these fish are cruising there and they're feeding up and i like that plus one just that hard erratic action you know how it is. It moves so much water. It has a big loud knocker in it. And then big aggressive smallmouth will just swim up and mm-hmm. smoke that thing. Wow. Okay. Great. Yeah. As far as colors, what's your favorite? You know, there's so many different colors out there when it comes to jerk baits. And yeah. I know I get really I get confused sometimes because there's crazy wild colors. There's yeah. natural colors. There's, you know, clear see-through ghost uh, type yeah. colors. Where does one start and or does it really dictate by you know conditions whether it be sun or clouds that's the only thing that i focus on and it, they'll eat an a rig too obviously when the wind's up and that water's you know in that kind of mid 50 i mean they'll just smoke an a rig they're smoking a big they'll smoke a big glide bait or big swim bait too but yeah I, it's totally the color is totally just dependent on light for me it's like i it's simple simple little rhyme right here when it's cloudy bone when it's sunny chrome and what i mean by that is you're really trying to trying to play how light works a bone lure or a pearl or a white lure it absorbs the light and a chrome lure is going to reflect the light so when it's cloudy man if you put a french pearl kitek 3.8 or or a french pearl mega bass in the water dude your freaking pupils will will hurt you'll feel the muscles in the back of your eyes because you're like god that thing like glows but when it's sunny, you're a French pearl and a white. You're like, eh, it don't don't really look real good. But then you put on a natural color, you know, like a, a pro blue. I think it's pro blue silver or an alewife colored kitek or an M shad. The M shad is really because it's so chromy. You know, I call it my chromy homie. That M shad plus one, and man, it's just. I needed to reflect in the sun because that's most visible, but I needed to absorb in the clouds because that's most visible. A chrome bait in the clouds looks hideous. It's like, it's the most dull looking lure you've ever seen. Are you still going to catch fish on it? If you throw it by one's grill, you probably will. But 
you know, when it's freaking flashing, you know, and it's sunny, high bluebird skies and ripping 10, 15 mile per hour wind, man, that's going to flash a long ways in our clear water, you know, and same deal with that pearl when it's cloudy, man, it, that it just sticks out like a sore thumb. So pretty simple when it's cloudy bone, when it's sunny chrome uh, or natural, you know, when, when sure. you're on a Kai tech, if it's sunny, you want something natural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's yeah. how I that's real down. good advice. Keep Pretty it simple. simple. Exactly. Yeah. You get, you know how it is, man. I own a tackle shop and I know how it goes. Guys come in and say, you got any of those green pumpkin with three flecks of purple and a red dot and, and the mm-hmm. chartreuse tail. And I'm like, dude, they are apex predators. If they are that freaking worried about three flecks of purple, we have some serious problems, but those guys swear by it. And then me, the tackle shop owner is forced to order a minimum order quantity of 10 to carry the product. <laughs> sure. and I'm stuck on stupid lures forever, you know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm the same way with, with, with jig pat with jig fishing. I'm like, Dude, our crawfish are green and orange and a little bit of brown. If they ain't eating a brown one, throw a green one, put a little orange on it. Vice versa, if it's muddy, put on a black and blue. If they ain't eating none of that, they ain't eating a jig. You know? Dude, tackle box, tackle box is about this big. Come on. <laughs> well. Simple. Not your big, big, big baits tackle box. So that's no. that's what we definitely want to talk about too. But let's continue on with the, uh, you know, during the spawn, you said you have really clear water. Those fish gets on, get on beds, you know, yeah. I'm sure that's a fun way to, to uh, you know, sight fish. And then yeah. you probably have what, maybe a, how long do they spawn? Is it a month long, depending on weather or a couple Man, of weeks? I, Is it quick? It, for us, it's it's crazy because I think about where you guys are and it's relatively flat land. So you don't have any kind of elevation change. We'll have one lake where the smallmouth are spawning in late April and another lake, literally 45 minutes down the road, the water temperature still in the high forties mm. just because of the elevation change, mm. you know? So as far as regionally, man, the spawn happens from early April all the way to late June, which is, okay. a, which is, you know, it obviously is lake dependent. If, if they're pulling up on one lake, they're going to be pulling up pretty much everywhere at that lake. But, you know, the spawn is a month long or so. And same deal with the, you know, the later lake where it's like, oh, it, they're spawning in late May. And now that's going to go into late June. Sure. Yeah. Do you, do you see a typical uh, period after, right after the spawn when it's a little tough? to to catch these smallmouth or is it or they put the feedback back so, on right after the spawn so that's kind of the unique thing about the herring lakes man you go straight from the bass spawn and then that water's kind of in that low to mid 60s creeping up in the 70s and you turn around and those herring are on the bank for three or four weeks so those smallmouth dude i have literally seen this has happened i've caught a smallmouth off a of bed like a buck smallie off a of bed mm-hmm put them in my live well, came back, you know, maybe she, this one had a fat, nasty black dot on it, this big smallie. I'm like, dang, she swam off. Well, I come back to the area later to see if she's on the bed and she's not. Well, I throw my dang spook up on the bank, shad flickering, the herring flickering. I walk that thing, boom, boat flip it, big old fat black dot on her. She's like, piss on it, I'm going to go eat herring. Right. I mean, just wow. like. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So that seems that's got to be super exciting, man. Something just, I've never experienced. Oh man. gosh, I've got some footage on our what YouTube channel that's just gruesome. Literally, just of smallmouth destroying baits in that much water. Ah, uh, yeah. Beta choice then when we're dealing with the shad 
with the uh, heron spawn? You know, I actually just put a video up talking about it. When it's calm, I like something very natural and not very loud. I want like a like a a weightless Kitech, like right underneath the surface, or even a a, a weightless fluke. Um, you know, and a lot of times I'm parallel in the bank in the strike zone longer. So a lot of guys are, you know, a lot of guys get stuck in casting to the bank. And uh, man, really the deal is I tell people, I'm like, even when I'm guiding, I'm like, here's the deal. This is a one person show. The person on the front is going to catch a fish and then you guys are going to switch and you guys are going to switch about 50 times because we're going to catch a hundred of them. But when it's, when it's really, you know, wavy, a lot of turbulence, turbidity, I'm throwing something really loud, like a big, knocker walking bait you know i'm a little stick a cane walker something that's moving a lot of water and even a big swim bait you know just burning that thing down the bank looking like a herring that's trying to drop her eggs and skedaddle you know so Mm. really when it's calmer something very natural okay when it's when it's crazy you can get away with just more power fishing style baits your walking baits a spinner bait you know I, i like to i like to just Keep it really simple though with my top. I'm throwing a top water, a fluke, and a little a, a Kitech most of the time when I'm targeting them big, smallmouth. Okay, great. Yeah. So, do you notice a time when, okay, you, you've been you've been cracking on these fish up shallow, they're pushing up herring, they're catching, you know, they're biting, and then all of a sudden, what, what is, does a, does a herring spawn kind of like there one day gone the next, or, or yeah. is it, and then it's done? Yeah, what what I tend to notice on our lakes is there is a kind of spot where it goes from herring spawn, and once again, depending on dude, the herring spawn on some lakes, once again in early May, and there's other lakes the herring spawn happens up until August. So it's a I can get on on that nasty top water bite with big smallies literally for like three or four months, and it's just ignorant, you know. And uh, there is though a point in time at which I think those herring are done; they back back out. And then really you're, they almost seem like ghosts and how we have been targeting them is uh, now on some of the lakes, they'll come up shallow in the bluegill spawn. I do guys, do they do that up there when the bluegill spawn will smallmouth get on them too? I haven't experienced that a whole lot either. Okay. So I'm sure it does. Obviously they're going to feed on, on, on the bluegill as yeah. you know, that's more of a largemouth thing. We find a lot of yeah. lakes that, that have a mixed bag, the, the great lakes, smallmouth. I don't think they're too interested or focused on that. Yeah. I'm sure if they're in the area, they would, but yeah, of course that's pretty cool. Yeah. So the smallmouth do one of two things. They either head way out to deep water, um, you know, which we're targeting them. I, a lot of those fish end up coughing up crawdads when we catch them. And then the other thing they do is they wolf pack on the bank. Like they will literally get on the bank in inches of water and just chase around bluegill that are this big, you know, and, uh, man, you can literally see them coming down the bank and you're like, Oh my gosh. I don't know if you ever watched, uh, the college series when, uh, Tom Frank went on Lake Chatoog throwing the rat. He's like, Oh, there's some, there's a wolf pack coming down the bank and he throws a 10 inch rat out there. Big largemouth come up and eat. Uh-huh. Well, on our lakes that have smallmouth, the smallmouth act the same way. When those brim get up there and you have those juvenile, immature brim that are just new to the world and are like, oh, uh, you know, what am I doing? And, mm-hmm. you know, them big smallmouth know that they're vulnerable. And, man, I've caught a lot of four to, I mean, my biggest smallmouth's right at seven pounds, caught it literally on the bank mm-hmm. chasing brim. 
Yeah. So you get some come fish next to you, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's unique because it's like I said, some wow. of, all the smallies move up for the herring spawn. It's like all the baits up shallow. Let's all just hunker down and eat. And that's what they're doing. But then a lot of those fish, when those herring back out, man, herring are addictive to bass. They're fatty. They're oily. They don't need a lot of plankton to grow. So our lakes that are really clear water, uh, low, low, I guess, I don't know, nutrient. Not very, they, they're called oligotrophic. Mm-hmm. People call them oligotrophic, which means highland reservoir, no nutrients, very clear water. But, you know, they tend to have bad shad populations. Well, all of a sudden these herring are thriving. So a lot of these bass get addicted to these things and they'll move out. And some of those smallmouth, man, I think they get so big and so gnarly. They're just like, I'm coming up shallow to hang out with the largemouth, man. Mm. No no race-related incidents here. We can party together. Right, right. Yeah. Do you see that a lot? I mean, these lakes that have these these good populations of smallmouth, is there also a good population of largemouth and spotted bass? Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, most of the lakes we're having a problem in my region where the spotted bass, the spotted bass dude are like the high school girl who slept with everybody mm. and they're spawning with everybody. So what you're starting to catch is a lot of mean mouth, which are those spotted bass mixed with smallies. And you can tell because you're like, golly, that that's like a green looking smallmouth. Mm-hmm. And then it has a dot on the tongue. And you're like, ooh, that's a that's one of those mixed ones. And uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, those those fish can't reproduce. And I'm like, well, bull crap, because if they couldn't reproduce, smallmouth will eventually link up with smallmouth and the smallmouth population would continue. I think those those spotted bass impurify those genetics and then that offspring impurify it more and they can spawn with everybody else and they impurified and then so forth. So a lot of our lakes that have spotted bass, like dude, Lake Chatube used to be an epic smallmouth fishery. There's not a small mouth in it now. It's a spotted bass mecca, um, you know, but Fontana Lake, same deal. used to be a man, one of the best small mouth places in the whole Southeast uh, wow. Lake Hiawassee, where the state record came from 10, 10, 11, 10 pounds, 11 ounces, almost 11 pounder. Dude, it's a, it's a spotted bass factory. Now it's really hard to catch smallies, but when you catch them, they're big. Mm-hmm. So, but they, they all coexist. Large mouth and small mouth do fine together. As soon as you introduce the spotted bass, man, it's like the kid that you adopted trying to, do it out of a good heart and they just destroyed your family. Right. So what <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> so when they get offshore and you know, it's, it's July, August, it's super hot dead of summer. Are you even messing with those smallmouth? Can yeah, you catch man. Them? They'll, they'll hunker down on offshore rock. That's where I find them 35, 45 foot deep, literally like a Ned rig, a drop shot. Um, you know, they'll, that's pretty much how we're targeting those fish. The other thing that's really good, and it's kind of a year-round bait, and I'm sure you, I know you've messed with it. Every smallmouth dude has is a spy bait. When it kind of gets hot, kind of dog days, and even when it's really, really cold in the dog days, and they're just like, anytime where the smallmouth don't really want to be super aggressive, and I think smallmouth are most aggressive in 45 to really 60-degree water, once it starts to get really hot, like, 75 80 degrees or if it's brutally cold man that spy bait just wiggling this fast in the water column tends to get bit you know so we will we'll get out on some of those long sandy points that i know have isolated rock and just dink a dang uh uh, spy bait around just like how deep are you in uh you know those fish are in 35 foot of water i think kind of hunkered down so So we're we're letting that spy bait just sink uh, they say they're pressure tuned, but I just, I count them down. I count them down about 15 Mississippi and just let them fall and hope that little subtle action that they have swimming ends up 
pulling one of those smallies off the bottom to come up and grab it. What's your setup for a spy bait? A, a spinning rod or bait caster? No, you get those guys, man. I listen. I'm I'm kind of like one of these guys. I like watching the whole Japanese scene unfold. They're like, you got to use full pound test for your spy bait. I'm mm-hmm. like, brother, you can have it if it's four pound test. I put it on. A, I do put it on a seven three medium light rod, like long and limber, because I've noticed a lot of fish will spit that thing. So I want that like super parabolic action. I'm using eight pound test, which is about as finessey as I like to get. And then, uh, you know, just die with real baby, nice smooth drag, just somewhere they tackle it. That rod's going to be, you know. And that is a bait caster. No, no, no. Oh, spinning. spinning. Okay. Spinning rod. Yeah. I get super, I, I don't like throwing them on a bait caster, man. Just when well, I, think, I just, I was confused. Cause you said letter line in Japanese, and then you kind of went on that 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 tangent there with the like I, I like to fish it heavier yeah yeah but I, I do like to fish it heavier but just not in a bait casting application like sure. i just i just think that's overkill man you the hooks are very small and mm-hmm. you know i'm a little bit wild so if i start really winching on a fish i've been known to bend out a hook on a small treble hook so i'm like it's simple for me to just put light line on let the drag and it's all spinning rod you know that rod that i use um is also a really good shad wrap rod just to kind of put it in perspective okay. something, something that's very long that has a lot of whip and uh you know something that really folds over and pull you know mm. finessey long when you're fishing that spy bait in 30 plus feet of water you know you're around some rocks and whatnot you, you're thinking around the right structure are you seeing them on the graph at all where you have the confidence to sit there and count that bait down and real super slow or you kind of just set in and that's what you're doing and you're hoping for a bite? Are you, do you see these fish that you're trying to catch? Yeah. Cat, you know, cats out of the bag. I'm running panoptics. You know, I, it's one of those deals when they're hunkered down, really glued to the bottom. And you, you know, this as a panoptics user, it can be really hard to see them when they're glued to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a trained eye can see them and you know, I've been guiding for so long with that crap. I'm just like, Oh, there's one down there. You can see him move or you, or, or you don't see him at all. You make one cast with a spy bait and it's just moving, you know, however a spy bait works, it just moves enough water where they might just show themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know how small mouth are, man, there's where there's one, there's probably a few of them. So I know conditions have to be ideal, but are you watching your spy bait on the graph as well? Yeah. When you yeah, can I, at I, times. Well, the reality is here as a guide, I kind of have the luxury of watching the bait on, you know, the bait. So mm-hmm. when I'm guiding somebody, I'm like, Hey, you know, line up your cast, you know how it is, line up your mm-hmm. cast, aim towards that, that buoy or aim towards that tree or aim whatever that landmark. Mm-hmm. And then when he lands, I take that pan optics and shine it to it and I'm watching it and I'm like, all right, you can start reeling about right now. And then, you know, I'm watching his deal and I'm, wa- I'm looking for anything to show itself off the bottom or, you know, how it yeah. goes. But so, that intrigues me because I recently, uh, well, I should say last fall, I really got into watching my jerk baits a lot on the on the live scope. Is, is that so fun or what? It was awesome, but you know that's a for me, and you probably run into this with especially with a spy bait because it's so slow and finessey and 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 whatnot, and you must run into some bigger waves at times. Do you sometimes where it's just almost impossible though to keep track of that bait? Is there some days you're out there where it's just blowing and your boat's blowing and, and moving? That- so for me, a spy bait is a calm water bait. Okay. So if I'm 
if it is, if it's like that, dude, you're, you're gonna you're gonna think I'm insane when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. But we call fish up off the bottom on a topwater bait. In the waves. In the waves. Like when the waves are going crazy, it's absolutely insane how you can take a dang, I'm a little stick spitting ta, 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 and watch them on panoptic still, even come off the bottom, man. And just, I'm talking about 25, 30 foot of water. They're on rock. They see that herring struggling at the top and they're swimming from a long way and coming to tackle that thing. Are you throwing that when it's calm too? No. Well, yeah. so here's the deal. I, I'm telling you, dude, the, our, our fish are just, I don't even know if it's pressure as much as, I don't know, man, they'll eat a walking bait. It just has to be a quieter walking bait. So I really like to switch to like a, a bull shad or something that's wood where it's just getting action. You know, I just, mm. no, you're not getting a lot of noise for me. Like the more turbulent, the water, the louder and more obnoxious. I want my baits, the quieter and calmer, the water, the more natural I want my baits. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, so, and then match that, with, that makes sense. It, yeah. it definitely makes sense. It's just a different, you know, I've caught them in both conditions, but if you had to give me a choice for a walking bait for areas that I fish, you know, like like it'd be a little calm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do know what you mean. And I do know Mm. what you're missing out on. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. And it's different. You know, these fish are locked into herring. So man, they are so triggered when they see a dying herring. It's just like, Oh, instinct. I've got to go eat that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, at the same time, when you're throwing that big lap, you'll get you'll get bit in calm water with, you know, calm water throwing that walking bait. But you won't do You'll see a lot of fish on your panoptics. Now that I can see it, they just follow it, man. They'll still mm-hmm. they'll stay down in eight, five foot of water. And up here, you know, you're walking your bait on top and those fish are just they're just tracking below it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to learn now with this new technology. Again, I, I was. I was having some success in the fall on that jerk bait on the live scope. And I took it to another inland lake and used the jerk bait in 30 to 40 feet of water. Yeah. And this, this was only getting down eight feet or so. And it's crazy how those fish will come up from 30 feet of water up to almost the surface. Unreal. And grab that bait. You can see them coming right up from the bottom like how do they know like they their vision it's vision and i do think there's a feel man and that's why that's why to me you know a a lethal bait in my arsenal is even a big bait man anything that's moving water quick or moving a lot of water is going to have draw power i'm like ocd about draw power when it comes to like summertime spring you're it's going to be really hard to catch fish if you're not drawing them out of where they are because they'll hunker down and some stuff. And that's why I glide bait to me, man. I, same deal with these smallies. I've been out on a point like, dude, we're over 30 foot of water. Let's let this 10 inch bait sink about two seconds, five foot of water and just burn it. And they're like, burn it, burn it. That thing's gliding down there and you just see these freaking monster smallmouth come up off the bottom. Like, Lord, I need to know about that. We need to talk about that because you are a big, big bait expert when it comes to these big fish, whether it be yeah. large mouth, small mouth, spotted bass, I, you know, I experiment a little bit and I'm still learning the, the big bait, the glide baits, the, the big swim baits. I'm not at your level at all. So where does one start? Let's say I want to start experimenting with a bigger swim bait yeah. for small mouth. Like 
I don't even know where to begin. I would say, what is the number one forage that your smallmouth? Um, what is the number one forage that your smallmouth are eating? Is it perch? Um, is it herring? Is it is it thread fins? And I'm trying to match my bait to that fish. You know, we have a lot of yellow perch in our lakes, uh, just like you guys do up there. We have obviously herring or alewife. You know, is the cousin of a herring. Um, so for me, it's like if I, I if I can stay in that ballpark with my lures and really match the hatch, I think that's a great just beginning point. You know, I think. Ah, did you see uh, when Polinick won Champlain? I know he caught largemouth. But he had a glide bait out there, and I think he was he was throwing a perch color. It was though um, I forget what the I forget what it's called in the uh, Arashi whatever we got him in the store. But that was the deal was it was a perch colored perch colored deal. He was catching largemouth, but on our lakes the smallmouth the smallmouth chase him down. So match the hatch. What's the number one forge that the smallmouth are keying in on? Okay, so color and then size you know we're intimidated a lot of people might be intimidated by a, a 10 inch yeah swim bait yeah so let's say we are because i know you'd recommend throwing the 10 inch swim bait I do. without without I do. even hesitating you'd pick one up and chuck it i'm scared to bro come on man where do i gotta start start here's, me off a little smaller. The, let me let me tell you let me tell you the the whole theory behind this okay a bigger bait moves more water the more water you move, the more followers you get. The more followers you get, the more bites you get. The more bites you get, the more fish you hook. The more fish you hook, the more fish you land. So, likewise, the smaller the swim bait, the less water you move. The less water you move, the less fish follow your bait. The less fish follow your bait means less bites. Less bites means less hookups. Less. So, uh, uh, listen, if I'm going to take a, take a fight with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, I have the brain power. And I've seen myself and I've seen Shaquille O'Neal in real life. I know that I'm probably going to get my tail whipped. Guess what? Fish don't have. They don't have mirrors or they don't have the comprehension ability to know that thing's too big for you, hero. Um, there's one video that I have. I was on Nanahala Lake. Um, this was early. This was like early spawn because uh, we, we did catch a couple fish off a of bed, but it was mostly pre-spawn. And I threw a 10 inch herring style glide bait i mean literally a big old fat nasty thing called a 13 and a half inch smallmouth hit it head first just mm -hmm. he just came out and pile drove the head of it just boom and sure. i set the hook and i'm like i was with a guy i was guiding a guy and he's like does that thing work and i'm like oh yeah bro let's we'll fish it down one bank and i let me show you and i'd literally throw it right up next to a lay down that you know little buck smallmouth up there staging getting ready to spawn on some rocks he was just finding cover to hang out on I burned that thing by that tree and he just come out and, and hit the head of it. Just, I'm talking about it's glide and glide, boom. Mm. And I set the hook and I said, dude, look at this. I boat flip it. I got it on, I got it on footage. And uh, he was like, what the heck was that fish thinking? And I'm like, dude, they don't think like we think the smallmouth when they, when they see a bait, an injured bait fish or something that just piques their interest. They're like, Hey boo, let me holla at you. That makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. They don't, they just don't know how big they are. Uh-huh. All yeah. right. If like, what would be the top, I guess, brands that you would recommend if you could pick two or three to get somebody started? Yeah. You know, I really like the depths brand. Uh, you know, I'm a premium, I'm a premium guy. I really like the depths 175s. If you're like tournament and 
A lot of guys get freaked out by the 250. I can go up to a, a lake right now and feel very confident I'm going to catch a limit of good smallmouth on a 10-inch glide bait. I just am. But I would say a lot of guys are like, man, that's big. It takes a whole nother rod setup and everything. So depths, the depth's 175. It's a great lure. It's about eight inches. Uh, actually, I think it's like seven and a half, but it's a great lure. I like the ABT, the homicide glides. And what's really unique about the homicide glides is the standard hook placement. Uh, the standard hook placement on a lure, you know, is like one one right here in the chest and one back here in the pubic fin. Well, what's cool about an ABT, I wish I'd had, I wish I'd have brought some. It has a nose hook, a, a T-bone hook, and a tail hook. And that's really the way a fish is going to eat a bait. They're gonna, either going to try to hit it head first, hit it from the side, or come at it from the back. So for me, an ABT is killer. And I also, on all those depth baits, I add a nose hook because I have so much tooth rash from teeth hitting the head. I'm like, God, dude, I'd hate to know how many 10-pound largemouth I'd have because they come up and strike the head of that 250 and then swim away. Uh-huh. Like, what can I do? Well, they, it has a vertical line tie. Well, I'm like, I can put an O-ring on it, and then a treble hook is right in the middle. When it swims, it's centralized on its body, so it still keeps its good action. When you have a horizontal line tie, if you tried to put an O-ring on it, well, then that treble hook wants to go to one side or the other because your line right on. obviously yep. has to stay in the middle. So I like a vertical line tie. And for me, that's a depths, that's a depths bait. Uh, it's an ABT. And then, you know, in the more kind of generic, you see the guys with tactical bass and throw a lot of the S waivers. That's a great bait. It's got a horizontal line tie. So you're going to miss head strikes. Uh, the GAN crafts are really good, but I, once again, dude, I'm pretty simple. It's an ABT or it's a depths for me. Those are the only two brands that I, that I even really own. So the ABT is the homicide, the homicide. Yep. And then the depths is what, what do they call it? They just call it the slide swimmer slide swimmer yeah perfect and then they have a bunch of different colors to match the hatch so if you're if you're in a lake with big yellow perch you'd recommend that if yeah you know we have a lot of alewives up north yeah of course and so i think that that bait fish pattern would work great for that situation Mm -hmm. uh you know for these northern guys i think the perch and the alewife is probably your best you know even a shad type pattern of course yeah and then down south man you sounds like you got to have a herring a herring, a herring and then dude they stock those 10 inch trout in our lakes man and those those fish just man a trout is 10 inches it's it's thin it's slimy it's filled with protein like man it's right. it's an addictive little bait for them to eat and so i've seen i mean i've seen fish totally abandon the herring to chase trout around do you mess around with any of the soft the, the soft plastic bigger swim bait oh oh yeah man like Let's uh, talk I about love, that love a mega bass mag draft oh i love a mag draft i'll tell you what i really like is the uh freestyle mag draft okay um because i like to really fish it in stuff like i like to drag it on the bottom uh i like to fish it around cover you know so for me that trip the trip well so one the mega bass mag draft the treble hook it's a little baby weight in the harness and if you really burn it fast that thing wants to kick up on its side okay and when i have a belly weighted owner beast on that freestyle i can burn that thing and it just stays true i mean just right to you it'll just super straight and then a what, hug- what's what's the uh before we get on the next bait what's yeah. your best size that you found for that one a six inch. I like a, a six, six inch. inch. And yeah. What, I caught, what? I've caught a lot of fish on the eight inch and I've caught some fish on the 10 inch, but, uh, 
you know, I've caught some, I've caught some really big smallies on that six inch with the owner beast hook. And once again, you're talking about an owner beast, eight dot owner beast hook. It's an eight dot. Okay. Yeah. A three eighth ounce, uh, you know, three. So it's, a, it's a single hook in there. Mm-hmm. When you get that bite, walk me through the bite on, on a bait like that, man. If they're hitting it good, it's just one. You only feel one thing. You just feel tick. And when you, when you cram, they're there. I mean, it should be, your, your rod should be bent over. If they're, yeah. if they're not getting it, it'll feel like, a, it'll feel like, a da-da-da. like they'd come up and hit the, hit the tail of a wild swimming. Mm. You know, I've in our lakes, I've literally seen it, dude. I've cloudy day. Guess what color I was throwing? I was throwing like the pearl, whatever it's called, you know, the, colors Aldane was throwing there uh you know in our neck of the woods where the classic was in tennessee there a couple years ago he had that monster bag but i was throwing that pearl white cloudy day i could see it down 10 foot of water i just seen it tick and disappear i'm like looking at it down there and it right. just disappeared i'm like gosh at the hook four and a half pound smallie i'm like that's dope and yeah. catch a couple like that and then come back the next day same conditions and reel on it and just just literally see him hit half the bait and and then the bait swims fine again and you're and you're it feels, you know, when they get it good, it's just that real sharp tick. But when they're not getting it good, you'll feel like they'll come up behind it and almost like mouth it and swim. Wow. Yeah. All right. What was the next one you were talking about as far as uh soft? So a Huddleston. They are, dude, I don't want to use profanity. They are a B to get their hands on because Ken, listen, Ken's got a great product with the Huddleston. His he doesn't even, I don't even, wouldn't even consider it a business. They are the most inefficient business I've ever, uh, okay. ever ran into. Sure. You know, we carry the 68, which is the six inch with the eight inch tail. They have the eight inch, which we've called some big smallies on the eight inch, but that 68, that's a six inch bait with an eight inch tail. And, uh, man, it's a, a little, six inch bait with an eight inch tail. Help walk. Huddleston. Yeah, you're good. The original okay. Huddleston was an eight inch bait and it came with a standard, you know, the tail for the eight inch bait. Well, then he came out with a six inch bait. So he had the six inch bait and the six inch bait likewise had a smaller tail for the smaller body. Okay. Well, when it's a lot of tournament guys were like, Hey man, I still want like a tournament size bait, but I want big bass potential. So he started making the six inch body with the tail size of the eight. I inch gotcha. swim bait. Is that the, the style you'd recommend? You know, I've caught uh, most, it's the style I throw the most when I'm targeting smallmouth because that eight inch bait is a lot to get their mouth around because what a Huddleston, the Huddleston has just the single jig hook coming out of the head. Right. So for a smallmouth to get it, they got to hit the head. So what I'll do with the 68, it's a smaller profile, which means they can inhale it. And then on the harness, on the belly of it, I'll either do a double Palomar knot or a, uh, you get some guys, they crimp, they'll crimp fishing line and put a treble hook right there at the, at the pubic fin. So, you know, if they short strike it and can only get around up to the hook, cause the hook kind of stops in the top of their mouth. Well, that treble hook will be in their mouth and they'll, they'll get them with that, uh, stinger hook, harness hook. Let's say I buy this, this Huddleston. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I want to rig it up and I don't know where to start. Is there, do you have any videos or anything I can. Make oh, a description yeah. here that would help people get, you know, yep, you I can. need somebody to show me how to rig that stinger hook, if you will. No doubt. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll send you a link to the video, but you can go through the YouTube channel, Dream Catchers Fishing, 
And, uh, man, I've got a lot of stuff on there talking about how I dial in my a rigs, how I dial in the big swim baits, Okay, you know, to, and, and break down maybe not so much more in depth. I mean, same I, once again, dude, I think the biggest problem, you could probably agree with this as a guide. And there's times, man, when guys have to overthink it, but dude, I think, I think too many fishermen overthink crap. I think the biggest thing is turn your brain off and just fish, you know, match, match the hatch, fish, the conditions, you know, obviously you got to know seasonal patterns and how those fish set up, but you know, time of the year for seasonal pattern, what's the light conditions. And, and there's a gamut of baits right there that you could throw in a few different colors. And I just really try to keep it simple. You can get spun out. I mean, I'm not kidding you, dude. I have, I got like four tackle boxes on my boat with just very simple stuff from finesse swim baits, some jerk baits, some top water baits, some wacky rig stuff, some drop shot stuff, Ned rig stuff, spinner baits, uh, a rigs. I mean, what you don't really need much more, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just like, there's a lot of stuff. Crank. I, I don't crank as much. It's really tough to crank our lakes and you can catch some big smallmouth doing that, by the way, but our lakes are like this steep, like sure. you're 20 steep foot, you're, you're 20 foot off the bank and you're in 60 foot of water, mm -hmm. you know? So it can be really hard to just get on a crank and bite, you know, you're like parallel on the bank with a six XD. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know. exactly. Wow, this is some good stuff. We uh we're almost at our time limit, but we could probably talk another four hours. There's so much that goes yeah, into this. It. This is crazy. Yeah. I hope everyone that's listening, I know they've gotten some really good information out of you, Austin. Really, really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. And uh, this was a fascinating conversation. What's the best way uh, for someone to reach out to you? How can they follow you on social media? You know, well want to thank Jesus. Really, my whole fishing career wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for my faith in Christ. I mean, I was hard times when I when I ended my when my baseball career came to an end, I was super depressed, suicidally depressed. My buddy led me to Christ and said, man, maybe he's got, God's calling you to be a fisherman in the fishing industry and tell people about the glory of God. And really, that's my hope at the end of the day with the world the way it is now, man. Like the only thing that I think about really is just enjoying God's creation and trying to tell him about the person that created it, and that's God. So thank God. I thank my dad, man. My dad was the original investor in my business. I had a dream for Dreamcatcher Guides, and uh, the Dreamcatch really was this whole brand for me, man, bringing a, a local tackle shop, really caring about our customers. You get a lot of guys in this industry, and I promise you, fishermen are the most jealous people on earth, and I've had a lot of haters, but we care about our customers maximizing their memories with their children on the water. And, you know, I give, a, I give away a lot of what I do, man. I freaking tell guys like, this is how I call them. This is where I call them. Like mm -hmm. you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I know these guys are going to shop with us. And, uh, you know, my dad really bought into my vision for customer service and a local tackle shop and a local guide. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had it, we had a great year last year. This year has been a great year. So thank my dad for that. And my wife, uh, you know, we have a, we're actually now, uh, I've got a son that's now four months old. Wow. So, awesome. Yeah, man, just incredible, incredible. Uh, just want to thank my family. And then as far as sponsors, you know, I, man, I just use the best stuff. What I think is the best. I'm not sponsored by anybody. I'll tell you, I exclusively sell Iowa rods and reels in my store. I think they're the best all metal interior gearing. They're Mac daddy. They're not, they don't pay me to say that I got to sell these things if I'm getting paid by dial, mm -hmm. sure. you know? but they're just so far tech technology wise. They're just so far superior. Uh, what do you use? You use Shimano Daiwa? What do you, use? I, I do. I, I'm a Shimano guy for a lot yeah. of my, my real Shimano is a great brand. 
they're Shimano and Dial were the only top down manufacturers. Straight right. up, they they make everything that goes into their products. And for me, I just feel like for the budget fisherman, Daiwa has those price points. You know, you look at like a, their Tatula's, their flagship model. It's a cheaper, it's cheaper than uh, the Corrados, the new Corrados. You know, those are two fifty, mm-hmm. three hundred dollar reels. Where those Tatula's, everything's a hundred to, you know, a hundred seventy five, two hundred dollars. So, as far as our customer base goes, we've really, really liked Daiwa. But uh, man, just out here grinding in day in day out, just trying to make mm-hmm. a living in this country. What's the website or what's the store's name? You and can search Dreamcatchers uh, Fishing across any social media platform. You know, we have our YouTube channel, Dreamcatchers Fishing, Instagram, Dreamcatchers Fishing, Facebook, Dreamcatchers Fishing. Uh, you know, I majored in social media marketing, so I wanted to make sure I had brand synergy as we moved forward. So we've got, I don't know how many followers we got. We got a growing YouTube channel, though, 3,000 ish people. And uh, I've never really used it as a revenue source, but now it's actually I'm like, okay, I guess I can make a little bit of money. A little bit. I'm no, listen, I'm no small mouth crushed. Oh, come on. Come on. I'm I'll tell you what though, we got to get you on a live uh, soon for yeah, sure. Would because love people explode with your knowledge. Like it's, it, it blows my mind. I mean, I don't know if I should do that because last time you were on the live, I dropped a, a little too much money on these big swim baits. You did, man. I still got your credit card on file. If you want me to say, I think I'm going to probably, I I got, I got, I'm going to get into it, dude. I'm not going to like leave it fall behind. I'm going to make it work for me. So, uh, you know, Eric throwing a glide bait his first ever day on Gaston, Mm -hmm. you know, large mouth, lake, whatever. Sure. The seven and an eight pounder, his partner's like, you know, does that thing work? Moves a seven and eight. The partner's like shook up, like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. You know, and then he goes back the next day, catches both those fish off of bed, wins the derby. And he he said, I would not have won the tournament if I didn't have those fish follow my glide bait. And guess what? Those fish ain't following a wacky rig. They ain't following a drop shot. They ain't, fo- <laughs> they, you know, one might follow a fat nasty. That's true. You know, it just moves a lot of water. And so special baits for sure. Jay. Come out. What I'm saying is come out, hang out with your boy, learn will. the way a demosta. Mm. I'm not the master, by the way. There's way more. No, no. Listen, I recommend anyone that's in the area or traveling down there and you want to hook up with a guy that knows what he's doing, you want to learn how to do this stuff, dream catchers, guide service. That's who I'd be calling. That's right. We, Dang. We do a lot of trips. How many trips did you do last year? Um, Not as much as I should. Yeah. I'm about 100, 150. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, honestly, dude, that's, that's healthy. You know, I, Last year I did two, like I don't do, I think 262. The year before that I did like 240 something. It's, it's a little over the top, you know, but for me, it's like I can guide five or six hours and I'm off the rest of the day. And to me, it's, you know, it's no different than a normal nine to five. I just start a little earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, I get to be in my family's life. And obviously I have a tackle shop that I just kind of monitor you know, from afar, make sure things are running smooth, proven orders and stuff. But if they stop in, can they, can they find you there from time to time? Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I had a guy trip this morning and I was like, I ain't coming by. And then I, my schedule right. said small mouth crush podcast. And I'm like, gotta get on with my boy. That's right. That's right. Awesome stuff. Well, Hey, I appreciate it. Awesome for coming on. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. Sounds man. Good. And as always, until next time, we'll see you guys on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at smallmouthcrush. Also, the YouTube channel, smallmouthcrush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you 
on the water.